Hello everybody and happy Tuesday and welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast where each week Movies by Minute hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler directed film The Best Years of Our Lives. One minute per screen time per episode. I of course am Ethan McKinley. Hello and welcome. I forgot to tell you this in episode uh, minute 32 but uh, I was the previous co-host of the Two Minute Terminator. I'm unfortunately Sans co-host so I thought what better to have as my co-pilot than the Obi-Wan Kenobi of not only podcasting, but minute podcasting. And that man is, you know him, you love him, he's done a million shows at this point. And now this one, Jim O'Kane. Uh, at this point, it's easy, though. Thank you, Ethan, for having me on. It's uh, you're, you're, you're so easy to talk to, and there's so much... So much content that gets generated organically. It's always, it's always nice. I, mean, I, uh, I <laughs> Just <feel>, not researched. <laughs> I, I, I feel bad when I give you like the little index cards that say what to say at the end of the show. <laughs> well, we're going go. to get way. it right this time. We're going to get it right this time. Unfortunately, I'm, uh, I've got my index card all mixed up on the last episode, listeners. So if you want a good laugh, go to the end of the last episode. Uh, <laughs> I promise I'll get it right this time. And I'll mention I'll mention the other stuff on the Friday show, not every show. We're learning, listeners. We're learning. <laughs> I'm British. What can I say? Come on. <laughs> but you're doing it so well. Um, we're we're here sitting in uh sitting in the not the camera the 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 parish house, uh, listening to uh, Mr. Cameron his po- Homer's potential in laws uh, asking about his cigarette smoking habits, and uh, apparently he he does not smoke a pipe or a cigar. He just does. Uh, cigarettes, lucky strikes, I would assume, because that was what was packed in with the uh, with the K rations and things that they were sending over from uh, from home. Yes, um, I, I didn't know what the what did the Tommies get. Did they, any idea what the British packaging was for their food uh, overseas? The, what they put stuff in separate packaging. What do you mean? Wouldn't it be just well, the packaging of the actual product? Well, no. I mean, there there were like you'd get a tin of biscuits, but I didn't know who made the biscuits or you'd get a, in, in the the typical rations for, 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 uh, uh, the U S soldiers that the GIs would get, uh, things like Wrigley's gum and they would get lucky strike, uh, tobacco, lucky strike. I didn't know if, uh, if the British soldiers had a particular, if players or something was their typical, uh, cigarette du jour that they usually got. How how crazy is that? Sending soldiers cigarettes to smoke while they're out there. Like, how nutty is that? Then you're asked, you're asked to kind of hike or kind of uh, march for like 20 miles. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, boys. Stop coughing. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, it's... I'm actually looking at a picture of a ration box. Uh, and there's corned beef. There is uh, vitamin-rich chocolate, oatmeal, uh, some hard-boiled sweets, some candies, and uh, some crackers and some tea bags. And what looks like... It looks like a stock cube, but it says soup on it. Ah, okay, so a bouillon, yeah. Yeah, so I ah, guess that's so what they call soup. But yes, British World War Two rations. And in fact, I will send you that picture right now so you can perhaps put it on the Best Minutes Facebook cool. page. Plug. Okay, we'll, we'll hang on to that. Yeah, the uh, I, I guess they were tobacco-free, so... Um... <laughs> it's uh smoke if you got them folks because yeah <laughs> we're on episode 33 and if you've uh, made it through the last two episodes with me well done you deserve an ah, oscar wow. uh, uh, have you have you picked up the tobacco habit are you uh i haven't i've never even tried a cigarette in fact that's a lie i went to amsterdam to film a canon commercial in 2007 they went to one of those smoking bars where you smoke marijuana oh, or weed yes i took one puff turned green i was like i can't do this <laughs> it's quite embarrassing I got the chance to be a man, and I blew it uh, in front wow. of the director. <laughs> and he never worked in this town again. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> kept you out of, yeah kept you out of the drug bars of uh, amsterdam yeah, so. kept, kept me smoke free and uh success free in the yes. world of entertainment they ever did the uh, diamonds of forever remake it's <laughs> off, off the off the chart there um wow well uh we get into uh, mrs cameron wilma's yes. mom uh starts asking homer where you know where he saw action and he was in the philippines but he uh he never got out of uh below deck so apparently he missed he missed the whole battle of Leyte gulf and all that so uh, missed some of the the hardest action of the war, uh, for at least for the Americans, besides the Coral Sea, um, that that mopping up operation. And they're, they're looking at it with disdain, going, "Oh, so you're not a proper war hero? Then. <laughs> this is me in the smoke bar in Amsterdam. Look, this is how it turned out for me." They're like, "Oh, Ethan, oh Harold, you tried, bless you." Uh. <laughs> and of course, you know, asking to meet. Did you meet General MacArthur? Because MacArthur famously telling the uh, the folks in manila as he was uh, bugging out that he would return and he did and uh uh but uh, unfortunately home he didn't he didn't stop by homer's uh, uh battle station when uh, when they were fighting in the philippines so i guess he just missed all that um <laughs> it's uh and then we get into the super awkward bit very very difficult thing uh, this is he's repeating homer was going to repeat his uh, cigarette trick or his match trick that he would you know pull out a pack of matches and strike them with his hooks and uh he he tries to be helpful to uh and wilma's he freaks dad out, I think. freaks out wilma's dad he's like Ugh, get away yeah. from me with those things yeah <laughs> get back satan <laughs> yeah he's not a not a, not a very pleasant uh, response but uh i don't you know i don't think mr cameron's ever met anybody with a disability it's no. kind of um uh, difficult uh i feel it, it, homer could do best with his sister his sister is at least being very honest she's fascinated by the prosthetics she's she's not looking down at homer she's not pitying homer she's looking at him saying i've never seen that before that's how do they work how is it interesting how you know how does how does it, how does it work and homer understands his sister he's very very obviously um very intuitive about how luella is looking at him mm. he's not she i don't think he's taking it personally he's like she wants to know how this works so she smiles at him and he smiles back at her and it seems to be okay well later on maybe i can show you how this all works um <laughs> i was gonna say I, I meant to ask this in the last two episodes but I forgot but now you reminded me how do those things work because what do they attach anything to to make the hook work if there's not a hand I'm to kind of cool. mechanically pull the i guess the wire or the 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 thing back the hinge to make it work it's uh it's a very interesting uh process the uh it, it's, it's kind of a if you picture that arm as having a strap that goes around your back and hooking around your opposite shoulder, ah. okay, and then your right arm is also running with your opposite shoulder. So if you flex your shoulder outward, you push like you're trying to pick up the, your scapula, the back of your the back of your shoulder. If you try to pick that up, it will close the hook. So it, all you have to do is kind of shrug your left shoulder to close your right hand. And shrug your right shoulder to close your left hand. I'm sure everybody that's driving a car or listening to us right now is shrugging their right or left shoulder, trying to figure out how that would feel. Um, but don't crash your cars, folks. Yeah, yeah. Be careful. <laughs> Autopilot on or whatever. Just make sure you know ten and two. Only Tesla drivers only, please. <laughs> but yeah. So and and the higher you raise your arm, the uh, tighter you're going to make that make that those hooks move together. And then um, you know other things on it since he has his arm his amputation was below the elbow so his mm. elbow controls things like the direction that the you know he can rotate oh okay um, based on which way he's turning so mm. uh, combinations of um 
of shoulder and wrist. I was watching a couple of YouTube videos of, of explaining how prosthetics work, and it's just fascinating. Uh, the uh, the fellows that were showing how it works. There was a woman on one. I I, I should post that too if I if I. Can I was just thinking that the same mechanism, the same kind of arms, are still used today. Remarkably, nothing has changed yeah, that much for they, these particular arms. They have um they have cosmetic hands that you can put over them that would work the first two fingers. You can you can make it a little bit more cosmetic. Yeah. And there are there are new ones. Um, I went <clears throat> about ten years ago. I went to a uh, what they call a future fest in New York City. And they showed some uh, work that they've done with prosthetics where you can it can read parts of your muscle, like your biceps and triceps, if you still have them. Yeah. And by tightening or, or flexing them, uh, you can you can actually operate hands like that would close in more fist-like manner. You can move a thumb and things. Right. So, uh, but that, you know, that ability, it, it's pretty much the same principle. And the the surprising thing <clears throat> about it is you once you learn how to do this, you pick it up really fast. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of like a half an hour. You can mm. figure out if you if you have these things attached to you, you can figure out in about a half an hour how to do things like you know r rough motions, like picking things up, picking up a pencil, um, and, and handling that stuff. It's not it's not as difficult as you might think to operate one if you have them. And most mostly, it's just learning the fine motor controls with it. Yeah, it's just remarkable the kind of the design hasn't changed that much for the most part. There are still people using that kind of arm still today on all these. Uh... Uh, Google images I'm looking at. It's remarkable. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a thing, and you know, and they've made them uh, a lot lighter weight. You don't have to use the heavy metal as much. Um, yeah, probably carbon a, fiber or something, I assume. Yeah, I have a friend who is uh, missing a leg below the knee, and his is more like a. You can get you can get one in like a foot shape, but he has his is more like a um, it, almost like the end of a ski. Yeah, and uh, it's springier, and it, it it's made out of uh, carbon fiber. So it's nearly indestructible, doesn't get affected by cold, and uh, doesn't crack or anything like that. So it's a lot easier to, to get around, a lot easier to, to, to pick up things. It's funny you mention right. that. There's, there's amputee athletes, isn't it, from both knees down. They've got those kind of like bendy, a bit like that girl in Kingsman, the assassin. Yeah, yeah. It's, but um, they're saying, is that an, a performance advantage? Like you can't take steroids, you can't take performance enhancing drugs to perform. But if you've got these kind of like uh, crazy carbon fiber ski legs, as it were, you can yeah, run you, faster than you, a normal person, can't you? Yeah, you can take you can take a better impact because it'll absorb the impact better. Yeah. You can you can build it so that you don't have to worry about cracking your ankles or anything. So, uh, they, I mean, I don't think I'd want to lose my feet, but it's a uh, definitely an advantage if you uh, if you have this modern this modern product that can get you around rather than say you know an old pirate like pay leg or something. Um, who who is the uh, the couple? Uh, screen right, who are where is it it's the lady that talks to harold hang on what's her name is it minna gumble is that her uh minna gumble is her is it, uh the the mom homer's mom yes that's her yeah i was just yeah. on imdb she she has a career that goes kind of really far back as well yeah she's well back into the silent era there yeah what year what, what year did talkies come uh 27 with the uh, okay. arrival of uh, the jazz singer yeah 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 it's very interesting that a lot of these actors had to make this kind of new technological transition. And as we said in the last episode, it's like obviously a different style of acting and stuff. And also that, uh, you know, some of them were theater actors like to kind of bring it back even more and stuff. But uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and we get more and we're going to be getting more and more into uh, uh, the character of uh, Wilma, uh, Kathy O'Donnell. Yeah. Uh, and she, uh, listening to her talk, it's hard to believe that she had an almost incomprehensible Oklahoma accent when uh, when she talks. She's 
she rap she uh, from what I understand she went to uh, vo- take voice lessons and uh, is an they... Oklahoma accent bad for films then or what was it? Yeah, it's, I mean mostly they were, tr- they were trying for the tr- uh, transatlantic sound pretty right. much, and she she does come across with a pretty good transatlantic uh, uh, voice here, yeah. um, but it doesn't quite fit with the midwestern flavor of the other yes. uh, the other actors are approaching. Um, Homer. <laughs> Homer, of course, has uh, Harold Russell's uh, inimitable Boston accent. The, the long <laughs> the harbor. They're attacking yeah. the harbor. <laughs> it's my terrible Boston, Boston accent. He's uh, yes, he's the missing Kennedy voice. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm just trying to, you know, it's, it's funny a uh, uh, a similar one. Uh, uh, every time I do that, I can feel my I can feel my left brain floating away because I forget the names of uh, of people that I that I'm just about to talk about. That's just Alzheimer's, Jim. Um, yeah, that's, it's it's all it's all fading. <laughs> it's I, I've been eating out of aluminum pots, uh, <laughs> but it, it's um, Ava Gardner. There we go. Uh, yes, Ava Gardner. I've been to the Ava Gardner Museum, which is in uh, North Carolina, and. Uh, I've, there is some early footage of her doing a screen test, and she had an almost incomprehensible North Carolina accent. I mean, right. she was uh, a lot like uh, Kenneth on uh, Thirty Rock. If you, <laughs> when he starts talking like the Hill people, she had she had quite a Green Acre sound to her. But uh, she went through heavy voice lessonings, lessons, and uh, it, it disappeared completely. Wow. Um, uh, it's just always uh, accents always fascinate me, and I'm always uh, I'm always impressed by people that can uh, that can change in and out of them. It's uh, it's difficult. I think Chris Reeves got a very thick Boston accent that's kind of beat out of him for uh, Superman. I think Richard Donner's talked about that on the uh, the commentary. He's going yeah. fader. <laughs> it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's it's interesting hearing them come up. I, I mean, I guess they gave up on uh, on Harold Russell because there's, there's only so, there's only so much you can do. I, I'm married to a Massachusetts girl, and I. Whenever she's in the presence of anybody else from New England, uh, she sounds like her, Bill Burr. <laughs> yeah, she she's inc- incredible sound, it's, and and uh, she only gets very she only gets angrier if if you point it out. She's like, there you go again. Pack your cat in the yard. Um, I've got a I, piece of trivia here for you, Jim. Harold Russell uh, volunteered the day after the Pearl Harbor attack. Was that post returning to war? Then it's not how he lost his hands during the Pearl Harbor thing. No, no, he lost his hands on D-Day in North Carolina. He was, uh, he became a, he he worked, he joined up, like you said, uh, just after Pearl Harbor in 1941. And then he became an instructor, a munitions instructor. And uh, he picked up a bad Claymore mine uh, as he was explaining and just knocked him, knocked his hands clean off. So um, yeah, he'd been in, he had been in the army for, let's see, that would be three years, right? Yeah. He'd He'd been in three years when he lost it. Right. And, uh, I was going to say, uh, William Wyler, the director, uh, was pissed at Samuel Goldwyn, the studio head, because he'd sent uh, Harold Russell off a secret uh, acting and accent lessons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing he needed was acting. He, he, William Wyler wanted him to act like, like regular Harold guy. Russell. Yeah, yeah, act like Harold Russell. Um, <laughs> he seemed like quite an affable guy, though. He, I, Harold Russell, I would have liked to have uh, had a beer with that guy. He seems yeah. like just a... It's the kind of guy you'd want to hang out with at Butch's place. Um, I was I, say William Beddo as well. I wrote this down because he's in a film, again, it's one of these films I've always meant to see, always wanted to when it came out and never got around to, Narrow Margin with Gene Hackman, but the original, uh, he's in that. Wow. The okay, 1990 I mean, the, film. 
Oh, I, I have a question. You might have seen Harold Russell's other film. Did you ever see Inside Moves? That's with John Voight. Nope. Again, with more no. DA, disabled American veterans. Uh, it's uh, interesting, interesting movie. Well, I don't want to spoil it, but it's a lot of broken people in that movie. John Voight plays one of them. And Harold Russell came out of retirement and became one of a, a denizens of a bar in, uh, in only, Worcester, he Massachusetts. Only, he only does the effects of war films, Don Beddo. Yeah. It's like he's just like, we've got this movie inside moves. Get me done, Beto, damn it. He's <laughs> uh, in Night I... of the Hunter as well, by the way. Sorry? He's in Night of the Hunter. That's another film. Oh, I really? I want to see that. Never... I own it on freaking DVD. Oh, I've no. Still, you, still have you the cracked, on cracked the plastic yet? Yeah. No. <laughs> I've got about 500 of those. You go, oh, this is a classic. I'm going to watch this. Ah. I'm going to never get around to it. <laughs> You have read the you've had read the back of the uh, the back of the blue the Blu-ray though. That's... I've read that. I know Robert Mitchum's in it, and there's some very stark imagery, and there's lots of yeah. classicness. I think. Uh... Yeah, that's 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 up there with Cape Fear, really. Yeah, I was really... going to say you probably put a bit of Max Cady into it as well. Yeah, vice yeah. versa. Sorry, that yelling <laughs> counselor. Or, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Our, our next project, Jim, should be take the plastic off, where we go through our collection. <laughs> Of things we've never watched that are still covered in plastic. Go, I watched it, and this is what I think of it. That might, that's a great that's a great format. I Take the plastic that. off minute. Take the plastic off. Um, it's about I'm Jewish to... housewives and their couches. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a neighborhood like that. There was a lot of vinyl. Um, yeah, we didn't get the... that in England, but all those like old American films grew up watching. There's lots of scenes with like uh, the couch still covered in plastic. It must I... have been murderous to sit on in the summer. Ah, it was brutal. It, 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 there, I... Grandmama's got swamp ass again. I had, <laughs> I I had a neighbor who not only did they have vinyl over the over everything, um, they had <laughs> one of those. They had a velvet rope across the living room. God. And as far as I know, nobody ever did, sat in that did room. Did do film premieres? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, and it was, it was a real one of those big, you know, with the brass uh, bollards and the and the the velvet rope with a with the big uh, brass hooks on them. And I can I can see it to this day. And I just I don't know if anybody ever sat in that room ever. Mm. Um, I just they probably they probably went in there when the uh, when they were reading the will and they decided you know they had a bust up grandma's stuff but uh yeah that was a way of life for many people um i i'm trying to figure out what that thing is hanging over the mantle it's a it looks like it's holding glasses of something they're like they're like test tubes almost oh yeah yeah i don't know what that is i it's also kind of moving and shaking and with slight movement yeah it it, it's almost like I, i keep thinking is it some kind of wind chime thing they didn't put outside is it a is there is it a lamp of sorts? I, it could be a lamp. It could oh, be you like can. Old... Oh, in, in the later scene when he's talking to the little girl, you can see it more closely. It's like glass vials or glass strips hanging down, isn't it? Yeah, could they be yeah. old, st- very old uh, lamps, like with the big thick filaments? That's yeah. the only other thing I can think of. Maybe it's uh, some kind of a, a mantle lamp. It's. Uh, Should take uh, a screen grab and see what the uh, see what people say. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's yeah, we, we can ask about that. It's just one of those. Many things that I always want, you know. There's, there's stuff. I remember in the movie Airport, there was a. Uh, Here we go. A, there, yeah, yeah, we <laughs> got to bring, airport, bring yeah, in other stuff. <laughs> we, we, I made it three days <laughs> talking about Airport. Um, but there's a scene with uh, Jacqueline Bisset and uh, and Dean Martin where they're in uh, Gwen the stewardess's apartment, and in the background there's this small appliance in her kitchen, and I have had people. Uh, try to identify what it is is it a juicer is it some kind of a coffee grinder is it 
And to this day, I do not know. I've had many different people uh, suggest what it might be, but no one's ever come up with a, or, you know, no. I'd like to see a picture of whatever that, uh, the box that it came in with that, with a picture of that in it, but uh, still it's don't like, know what it's it like is. It's like the ice cream maker from Empire Strikes Back, carried by Woodrow. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> Woodrow. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, it's, that's it. Yeah, it's, it, and it's not an ice cream maker, as far it's as a, I know. It's had a cameo in The Mandalorian, didn't it? He kept his best yeah. gar plates in it when, he, when uh, Werner Herzog gave him his bounty. That's the be the best thing about Mandalorian is it's it's justifying all the craziness of the previous episodes. <laughs> I do that. That's my favorite part of the Mandalorian. Wow. I was gonna say, I was gonna say uh, speaking about inside moves, it just popped into my head. John Savage. I've just looked him up. He was like this like raw talent. He was in all these great films like The Deer Hunter and stuff, and uh, Hair. All these like seventies classics. The Warriors. I think he's in as well. Yeah, and then he kind of. I would have thought he'd be up there with like De Niro and all those of that that rank of people like Walken, and he just kind of kind of faded out. I don't know. Yeah, I just I, maybe he thought that maybe he thought the same thing. Mm. <laughs> it's very strange because he was like one of the people like like uh, you know there was James Woods, John Belushi, all these kind of like raw talent kind of new generation of actors that came out as like seventies and eighties cinema, and he was in so many classic films, and now you still hear about all these other actors, but not him. Very strange. Yeah, it's um, uh, it reminds me of the old story of the uh, the singer Andy Williams, who used to have his own television shows in the '60s on American television, and uh, there was a, a story about uh, uh, this fellow who was a an agent going into a, a record store looking through old records, and he uh, he was there with the manager of the record store, and he came across an Andy Williams album, and he said, "Wow, an Andy Williams album." And uh, the manager picked up the album, looked at it and said, yeah, talk about where are they now? And uh, the agent turned to Andy Williams, who was standing next to him. <laughs> and it was like, oh, he's, this guy's holding a picture of Andy Williams and doesn't recognize <laughs> the guy from 40 years later. Um, so it's just uh, the price of fame. Um, I was going to say, this film, by the way, is a little piece of trivia before we sign off. Uh, it was the biggest box office of the 40s after, well, Gone with the Wind is 1939, but the biggest thing after Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind, I think, got 100, made $189 million. Now, I'm not sure if that's in adjusted dollars, but uh, this film, Best Years of Our Lives, got $23 million, and that was then. But wow. uh, that's a, I'm not sure if they're including money it's made since then for gone with the winds because it seems quite 189 million seems a lot for like the 1939 doesn't it yeah that's that's i mean that's like everybody in the united states going uh there were only 220 at the end of the war so yeah so i checked several um, sources but it all says 189 million for gone with the wind i can't find out if it's adjusted or not for modern times the money it's made since and only 23.65 million for uh best years of our lives i couldn't find uh, any more than that but it was well, the biggest I, hit after gone with the wind basically yeah i would think that um yeah i don't think best years ever had a, a re-release because uh gone with the wind's been re-released several times exactly which, yeah which added to it yeah um I, I before we go just as as we're watching this i have to say that homer's mom is really good at bugging her eyes out <laughs> um she uh she kind of Mrs. Parrish, you know, Mina, Mina Gumbel mm. comes in as she's carrying that tray of very slippery looking uh, lemonades. Um, and she looks, she gives dad a knowing look, but it's so, <laughs> I mean, if she had laser beams behind her corneas, he'd be, he'd be a hole in the ground. Like, why <laughs> is, why is Wilma's mom asking about Homer getting a job? 
I just got my handless son back from the war, and she wants him to go out and work someplace. <laughs> it's very. Oh, yeah, I just uh, saw it at the end. <laughs> yeah. He's just completely gone, um, you know, uh, uh, hyperthyroidism. It's uh, just. It's, and I can say that because I've had hyperthyroidism, but it's just, yeah, her eyes are completely um, Tex Avery style of <laughs> just bug out. Chuck uh, Jones voicing her. <laughs> uh, well folks uh, I was going to say there we have it thank you for listening once again we're on minute 33 Tom, we'll be back tomorrow Thursday with of course uh, minute 34 and here's the bit you've all been waiting for as you've been with me on this journey so far and so is Jim you're going to sit back and relax and get yourself a nice hot drink or a very strong sedative as I try and make it through the addendum to the show so Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Best Minutes podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or at our main site, thebestminutes.com. In fact, if you go on Facebook right now, you can join the community of people talking about this film. Uh, I think prosthetics will be uh, something coming up uh, in the next day or two, so you can uh, discuss prosthetic arms or look at the rations of a British soldier from 19... 19- 1945 during the war there we go I I, I got so far I was doing so well what can you do anyway I should tell you this on Friday but I will anyway because I'm on a roll Uh, there are over 180 other shows made by the one minute podcast people not just us mostly by Jim but there we have it (laughs) such a massive underachiever that I am but if there's a film out there that you love I guarantee you there's a one-minute podcast for it. In fact, my favourite film of all time, and I can't justify why, which is, of course, uh, Into the Night with Jeff Goblin and Michelle Pfeiffer, that has a one-minute show. In fact, I did a week on it. So come on. What's not to love? So please, Jim O'Kane, the godfather of all of us, sir, where could they find you, apart from the things I've just listed above? You can find me very easily at jimokane.com, J-I-M-O-K-A-N-E. And if I remember, com, and if I remember, it should be updated with this particular minute on on that <laughs> site. So uh, I'm on IMDb too. If you want to look up where where you can find me on other things, uh, there's an IMDb listing for Jim O'Kane, so you can find all my old like the TV special for TV Guide and stuff like that. It's all in there, so you can track me down. And Ethan, you're on you're on IMDb, right? People can look at your. Uh, I am. You can uh, see some of the things I'm in. Yes, I'm in an Amazon series called Dark Ditties right now, which has been put on hold for filming because of bloody COVID. Uh, And if you've enjoyed this show, if you're having as much fun as me and Jim are having right now, because I certainly am, uh, you can uh, listen to my other show, which is The Two Minute Terminator. So uh, I did do a one-minute show, but it's uh, sanctioned on uh, YouTube. So if you do enjoy the Terminator films and you like me talking at you for hours... uh, There's there's hundreds of episodes of The Two Minute Terminator. I know that. We did... Well, uh, until, what was it? What's the latest one? Terminator Dark Fate. We did every film up to that point. So what's that? Five Terminator films nonstop for about three (laughs) years without a break? Oh, my God. So, yeah, I think there's about, there must be over 400 episodes, I'm sure. So there's that as well. But uh, so far, so good. Thank you for listening, folks. We got through uh, the sign-off quite well, I think, until I cocked it up. And now we're going to see how we can do. Uh, on uh, on Thursday. There we have it. Jim O'Kane, I love you. Thank you. And uh, let's do this all again tomorrow. And listeners, let's do it all again with you. Bye. Love you. Hey, Joe. 
You better hurry up out there, because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor. 